You know what faith is? One of the things that faith is? By faith, this is Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Abraham obeyed God, going out, not knowing where he was going. So if you say, but what if, but what if, but what if, but what, but what? That's the point. (laughs) You don't know. You get it? If you only take steps that you know exactly everything that happens when you put the foot down, that's not faith. You don't know what's going to happen. He's there. He's alive. He reigns. Isn't that great to live a life that way? First, the Israelites didn't need that much faith. They actually had just come out of one of the most amazing experiences anybody could, well, be part of. They just seen God work magnificently in these ten plagues. And so they were overjoyed. They couldn't believe. One day they were slaves. One day they were under Pharaoh's rule. One day they just had no hope. And the next day Moses is leading them away from this tyrant. They kept pinching themselves. They couldn't believe it. Really? We're done? We're out of here? We are no longer slaves? Maybe they were doing happy dances. Maybe they were doing somersaults. Whatever it was, but they were moving. And God led them to a hard spot. All of a sudden, things were different. God was setting them up. God was teaching them. God was helping them understand who he was. But basically, They had not known this God very well. Moses did. Moses, the leader, he was the friend of God. And so Moses had this different relationship. But he just wondered. The people wondered, what were you doing? We're in a series called Red Sea Rules. And we're trying to learn a little bit what not only God taught the Jews, but what does God want to teach us in Exodus 14? The first rule that we saw was that God directs our footsteps so he could display his glory. We do have a little bit of a mentality that the universe just kind of revolves around each one of us. But God says, no, you're on this planet to give me glory, and I'm going to put you in circumstances and situations where I will be glorified. The second rule is acknowledge your enemy, but fix your eyes on God. 
we sang about the enemy and the authority that he has on this planet, but not when we look at who Jesus is and what God is doing. So we fix our eyes on God. And the third Red Sea rule, which we talked about last week, was pray. Stay calm and confident in God. We are reminded that every believer gets to go boldly into the throne room of the Almighty God. Anytime, any place. It's so wonderful. And we do it often. But during crisis, it just seems that our passion and our intensity increases. The Jews had a short-term memory loss. They panicked. They took their eyes off God. And Moses, who saw the same thing, experienced exactly the same scenario, responded very, very differently. And I think it all goes back to him walking by faith. So we're going to learn a little bit today of what that actually means, what it means to trust in the sovereign. But let's pray first. Father, we would all like to have greater faith. Each one of us would love to be able to see you so clearly that nothing ruffles our feathers. We understand your control in our life and in our world and our family. And we know, Lord, that you are walking with us. And we recognize that anything that happens to us happens to us for our good and for the good of the kingdom. But that's all head knowledge. So, Lord, when we walk through things that we don't like, make us uncomfortable. Make us wonder if you really are in charge, if you're really in control of the situation. Our faith wavers. We see all the way through the scriptures great men and women of faith trusting you in new and fresh ways. And Lord, in some ways, we desire that. We want that. So we would ask today, Lord, that you would help us understand what walking in faith is all about. We pray not only for this church, but we pray for other churches in our area. We pray for Connection and Casa de Oracion and for Emmanuel. We pray, Father, for their staff and their ministries. We pray that they would be salt and light as we pray the same thing for our community. Even right now, Father, we pray for those who are downstairs, who are teaching our children, who are opening up God's Word, who are encouraging them to know our God. We know it changes our perspective. So, Lord, today we ask you to open the Scriptures to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us that we would leave here understanding, well, who you are just a little better. 
and that we can trust you and put our faith ultimately in you. We pray all these things, Father, in your name. Amen. You know, a relationship with God starts with faith in Christ. Faith, our Savior. Faith in Jesus, our Savior, who went to the cross and shed his blood to pay our debt for sin because we're separated from God. Once you put your faith in what Christ did on the cross, the scriptures tell us that you become a brand new creation, that you are a son or a daughter of God. How amazing is that? That relationship has started. And as we spend time with God, our Heavenly Father, as we listen and we respond to God, our faith in God grows and our intimacy deepens. The Scriptures tell us this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and defines for us actually what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. Faith is being sure of things we hope for spiritually, but we haven't experienced or seen it with our own eyes yet. That's what makes it faith. It is trusting in God and in His promises. Faith and trust is foundational in this relationship and actually in any relationship. In Hebrews chapter 11, just a few verses down in verse 6, the scriptures say it is impossible to please God without faith. You know, example after example in Hebrews chapter 11, the scriptures share with us great men and women who had faith. And sometimes we read through that chapter and, yeah, I've read that story, and yeah, that was pretty amazing, and, and that was pretty cool. But if we really look at these folks, we see folks being asked to do things with no guarantees. No, I want you to build a boat. And by the way, no, I want you not even to build it near sea. And by the way, no, this boat's going to be really big. And by the way, this is going to take a long time. And you need to get the wood. You and, oh, okay, okay, okay. And he kept listening to God. There are folks who were asked to move countries. I want you to leave your family. I want you to start a new spot. I just want you to go. Well, where, God? I'm going to direct you. Trust me. That doesn't sound that exciting. There are folks who disobeyed kings and authorities and stood up. And you sit there and go, well, why? Why? What's the purpose of this? Why do you need to do this? How come I need to trust you and do this, God? But God continually asks people to do things without understanding completely how it would end. 
And the scriptures tell us, not only in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, but also in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39, that no one experienced the culmination of God's promises. So God told these folks to do things, they listened, and nobody saw ultimately the results of their obedience. Boy, doesn't that go against you? Okay, God, I'll obey you if you show me the results. Is this really going to happen? Or God, make sure that if I sacrifice here, (laughs) it makes a big difference. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39. All these people, because of their faith, this whole list of folks, earned a good reputation because of their faith. But this next line is haunting. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. Some experienced great, amazing, wonderful things. And others were sawn in half. That part always got me. Sawn in half. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't a bandsaw, so it kind of went fast. It had to hurt. Oh, this is what you're asking me to do, God? This is how you're responding? I am your faithful servant. And here I am getting sawn in half. This is not cool. Let's get back to Israel now and listen and enter into their scary predicament. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 14. We're going to start reading at verse 15. You can follow along up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. Let me start. Exodus 14, verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff, raise your hand over the sea. Divide the waters so Israel or the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops and his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all of Egypt will be able to see my glory and know that I am the Lord. We find out right in these first few verses that leaders must walk by faith. It starts with them often in churches and in movements. But the Lord spoke with some force to Moses here. And I sense, although I can't prove it, that this was not the first time that Moses heard the plan. I think God had revealed this to him and was reminding him what he asked him to do. He literally, God says, quit crying out to me. 
Remember, this may seem a little odd that maybe Moses is complaining, but not in the context. In the context, remember that Moses is a mediator. And Moses oftentimes represents the people, talks to God as a result of that. And I think he was actually crying out to God like the people were crying out to God. But I think Moses knew better. By faith, by faith, do what I've asked you to do, Moses. I understand you're in the same situation. You're seeing all the same things. And actually, you've got two million complaining people on top of it. But tell the people to get moving. Now, he's not telling the people to get moving. The Red Sea hasn't even been opened yet. What he's saying is this. Hey, we're breaking up camp. I I just want you to know, get ready. God's going to do something so amazing. Get all your gear together. Move. Well, quit standing around. How many times have you heard that? You're complaining, you're moaning. Quit standing around. Get ready. Now, by the way, if you look at that, I think even that command given by Moses took a lot of courage. Because that was assuming that God was going to work. Hey, uh, folks, get ready. Break up camp. Things are going to happen. Then he told Moses, pick up your staff. The staff all the way through the scriptures has represented God's given authority. Moses, I want you to remind, I want to remind you that you are my representative. Pick up that staff. Don't ever forget that. You're there for a reason. You're there to lead my people. Pick it up. Moses, I want you to raise your hand. Usually, almost all the time, it's just this, whether it's prayer, whatever, it's, it's showing your dependence on God. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. I'm going to do a mighty work through you. And then divide the seas so my people can walk through on dry ground. Can you imagine Moses right there trying to figure this out? Pick up the staff. Okay, got it. Raise the hand. Divide the sea. Oh. In other words, what God was saying, you've got to do this or my people are not going to be able to walk by faith. You need to listen to me, leader Moses. You do. And just a reminder, by the way, and you can look at the scriptures, I I will harden the Egyptians' hearts I'm going to be honored. This doesn't look good for you. I get it. You're not even understanding maybe all that I'm going to do, but I'm going to be honored when I defeat this king. This is a contest for supremacy. This is a contest of the gods. And they're going to know which god is the true god. I am going to reveal my power and my authority. You are going to have a front row seat. And let me say this, leaders. 
leaders who listen to God and walk by faith are gifts, no matter where they are. Let's keep reading. Exodus chapter 14, starting at verse 19. Then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptian and the Israelite camps. As darkness fell, evening's coming, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the Egyptians and the Israelites did not approach each other all night. Now, we don't actually have a lot of indication of what the Egyptians were thinking at that moment. I mean, they're coming after with everything they have, the greatest and most powerful army forever. And all of a sudden, it gets misty and cloudy, and all of a sudden, the giant column of fire appears. You would think at that moment, some of them would say, wait a minute, we just went through this. We had the 10 plagues. Didn't we have the 10 plagues? Don't, don't you remember this part? So here we are, we're fighting against God again. Let's go home. Pharaoh, what, what's the deal? Well, the deal was God's going to get glory. And we don't understand why they stayed there after this unbelievable manifestation of the Almighty God. So there we are. He had already, remember, set up these people, not the Egyptians, well with his words. Right before this section, in verse 14, Moses said, don't be afraid. Just stand still. Watch God rescue you. Stay calm. And I didn't go over this last week. That's because of time. But that command to stay calm might be better said, shut up. Quit talking. You guys are me, 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 me. I want you to be quiet. You just be quiet because really all your complaining and everything else that you're doing, whoa, God is going to do something amazing. God was preparing them to take a leap of faith. We look back and we don't see it. And I'm going to explain this in a moment. But this was huge. Two million through a body of water. <laughs> God moved to the rear. The cloud representing God was in the back. God was preparing them. God was protecting them. God was giving them the right leader. God was giving them the right words. God was working. Most of them didn't even see it. Let me say it again. God was working. God was working. And in the midst of crisis, in the midst of, of pressure, sometimes we don't see the cloud or the fire. Sometimes we don't hear the words and the calming words. We're panicking. <laughs> God was setting them up well. It was very clear that God wanted Israel to see the cloud and the pillar as his presence. But I just don't think they saw it. Let's look at the next two verses. This is so cool. Verse 21 and 22. Then, then, 
Oh yeah, this is better, better than anything. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea. And the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. The time had finally come. And Moses does his part. God had set him up. He had prepared the people. He had the staff, and he puts the hand up. Now, at that moment, did this see just part? Did God wait a moment? I, I don't know. Did Moses have to say anything? Okay, God, I have done everything you've asked. What do we do now? And you have all seen enough Hollywood and the effects, but oh, could you try to imagine all of a sudden the wind starts blowing? All of a sudden, you got, whoa, never saw this. Never saw this coming. And all of a sudden, the sea, all of a sudden, and again, how wide? I'm, I'm thinking pretty wide. It wasn't kind of a narrow path. You had two million people going through. Dry. She's excited, man. I'm excited too. I can't believe this is going on, you know? And, and I look at this, and I'm pretty sure in Moses' school, back in Egypt even, or even in the desert, when God was preparing him, there was nothing in the manual that told him how to part the sea. Nothing. By the way, this is how I'm going to work later on, and I want you to know, if you do this, 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 say these words, boom, the sea's going to open. Moses does his part. God does his part. God is faithful. Faithful. And here's what's cool. The people do their part. They get moving. Now what I've been trying to do all the way through in this series is try to remind you that I don't think we have any idea what courage this took. I don't. I, I don't know if the sun was starting to come up. We know that all through the night this, this wind blew. We know that it was bright enough that everybody saw what was happening because the fire was around. So it's really, really clear that now we have walls of water on each side and the sand or the soil is dry. Perhaps, and, and again, I'm just trying to think through this. Maybe just the most courageous people started going. You know, there's always those in any kind of a group, whoa, this is cool. God, I remember. And I do think there are some people with great faith. 
Maybe they were the ones in front of the line. Look at this. Do you believe this? This is unbelievable. Look at the fish. And I'm running. But there are plenty of people going, do you believe this? Oh, no. No. What's keeping those walls back? I don't, like if I step on this thing, is that thing going to start leaking? What is going on? So maybe Moses let it. Maybe some great men of God and women of God just poured themselves ahead. All right? But I know this, there were walls of water on each side. We see it often as many, as times of great joy where the people of Israel were so glad. I think there was some of that, but I also think there were some who were absolutely scared to death. And that's why I sense they needed encouragement. They needed encouragement. Moses has said it. Moses may be modeling it. Maybe there's a few that had some greater faith and they were moving. And all of a sudden, all two million Jews started walking. An experience, I'm sure, never, ever, ever was forgotten. But this is faith. Faith is walking out of obedience without knowing the income. Uh, the outcome. Faith is you listening to God, seeing the Red Sea open, recognizing it could come down on us anytime. God, all you want me to do is walk? Is that all you want me to do? Okay, I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk. Let me use some ran. But they were in there. Now, the truth is this. All of us, I think, if we had a private conversation, would say, I want to grow in faith. I want to live differently than my neighbor. When crisis comes to me, I want to respond differently. When bad news comes to me, because I have this relationship with you, God, I want to respond differently. God your presence in my life makes a difference. But there's many times as I look over that, I respond exactly the same way. I respond exactly the same fashion as my neighbor, as my boss, as my teammate. And I think God has given us the means for us to grow in faith. Let's grow here. Maybe the prayer is almost, Father, could I be one of those first runners? Man, when you open up the Red Sea, let me do that. I, I, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to get moving. So how do we grow in faith? Well, what I did, and, and this is not an exhaustive study, but I think we grow in faith. There's a few things that will help us on this journey. First of all, we need to spend time with Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6 and 7, Paul writes this, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow deep down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow in truth just as you were taught and you were overflow with thankfulness. You know, just as you 
required faith to become part of God's family. Continue to obey him. Continue to listen to him. Continue to spend time with him so that your lives may be built on him. So how do you grow in faith? You spend time with God. You get to know God better and better and better. Secondly, you spend time in God's word. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, the scriptures say, so faith comes by hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. In the specific context, it's talking about the gospel. But our faith grows by listening, understanding God's word, and by obeying it. Let me give you an example here. God desires that we trust him completely and walk by faith. For example, this is a tough passage in some ways. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. And Paul is talking about us eventually spending all eternity with God. So he's trying to give some perspective. We are not going to realize this, any one of us, until we close our eyes here on the planet. So he is asking you to trust me that this is going to happen, Paul says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 6. So we are always confident even though we know as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not seeing. Yes, we are fully confident. And we would rather be away with the, from these earthly bodies, for then we'll be at home with the Lord. Paul was just trying to encourage these believers and saying, hey, you know what, someday... We are going to spend time with God. Right now you've got these bodies and they're older and they're decrepit and they're deteriorating. But I want you to know the hope is you are going to spend eternity with God. That's the hope. That's the faith. That is something that will never, ever, ever be realized until you shut your eyes. You know, I think as we open up the scriptures, you are going to be given insights and encouragement and courses of action. But the better you know Jesus, the better you know God, the more time you spend with God, the easier it is to say yes and to trust God because your confidence is in God. Let me give you just a quick illustration here. I've seen this played out with doctors. This last week, I was informed that I need to get my right hip replaced. Now, there's a lot of folks in our congregation that have had hips replaced. A lot of good doctors, a lot of insight, a lot of different things. And I took them all and tried to gain some insight. But there is one doctor that has done a whole lot of surgeries on me, five in particular, and put me back together in different places. And I got an appointment with him. And I basically said, Doc, tell me, what do I need to do? 
He says, well, there's no doubt you need a new hip. Got it. I said, what would you do? He goes, I'd go get it done by Dr. So-and-so. I said, really? I said, you would do that? And he said, yeah, I'm telling you. And he started telling me about him, and he told me this and this and this. The bottom line is this. I trust this doctor because he's already, he knows way more than I know about bones and ligaments and everything else, way more. But not only that, he's done really a good job putting me back together at least five different times. Two knees, two shoulders, and a finger. Dude, you hit the ball out of the park, in my opinion. Who do I go to? I don't know anybody. I can read all this. I can get even other people's advice. But this guy, to me, I'm going to trust him. I suppose it could be a disaster, and I get it. But realistically, I am going to trust his word because he's got my attention, and he's come through over and over and over for me. That's who God is. Over and over, when you first develop a relationship with God, sometimes the things he asks us to do seem absolutely crazy. But the more time you spend with him, the better it is to listen and you respond quicker over and over. The next thing you could do is ask God to increase your faith. In Luke chapter 17, the apostles literally said to the Lord while they were here on the planet, Father, increase our faith. Help us grow in faith. Maybe that's something we begin to pray about. Lord, I'm not so good at this. Lord, I have trouble trusting you. Would you increase my faith? And then lastly, which is never a great topic, endure trials. Receive trials. Understand that, that God allows troubles and pain into your life. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine for one thing. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it grows. It is strengthened. It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. He loves when we trust Him. This brings us to Red Sea rule number four. Walk by faith. You see, if you're part of God's family, God is already working in your life and, and he has set you up well. We spend time with him. We listen to him and respond to him in his word. We pray and ask him, God, increase our faith and recognize that our circumstances are given to us just special, just perfect so that we grow in faith and we trust God differently. You know, faith is always easier when the object of our faith is trustworthy. And let's face it, the most trustworthy of all is our almighty God.
So I want to encourage you to do your part. And God will do his. Every day, you'll be able to listen to him and take a step of faith. Remember, discouragement is a temporary loss of perspective. Discouragement is just a time when we don't focus on Jesus well. Think about that. Let's pray. Oh God, we, we thank you. And we love you. And we know you're almighty. We do. We know, God, that you are amazing. We know that you are faithful. We know, dear God, that it's you desire deeply to walk with us and for us to trust you. Would you grow our faith? Lord, if there is someone here today that doesn't even know you, not part of your family, encourage them to do that and take that step right now. But God, for the many who are here who know you, Lord, open our eyes. What an adventure to live under your authority and to obey you in every way. You bring surprises every day. You even open up Red Sea at times. We love you, God. We do. Grow our faith. We pray this in your son's name.